Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Liking the heat? Who likes the heat? Who doesn't like the heat? All right. Uh, so next week, we're going to only air condition one side of the church, and that way, you know, all of you heat people will be on one side, and one of you cold people will be on there, and we'll be all right. Uh, no, we, I guess we can't do that, can we, Bob? Um, oh, we could. Okay. Uh, so let me ask you a question. Have you ever gotten some news that is so good? It's so great. It's, it's incredible news, and it makes you just want to just celebrate. You want to sing. You want to dance. You want to hug everybody. You want to just tell everybody this great news. It just brings you that much joy and excitement. Anybody ever received news like that? Man, the fathers should be raising their hands when their wives told them that they were pregnant with their children. Oh, man. One time, uh, right after Wendy and I were married, um, I was caller number five at a radio station. And I won us a, a four-day, three-night trip to Cancun, Mexico. Um, it was not all expenses paid. It was just the, 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 the hotel and everything. Um, and we spent a lot more than we would have had we actually gone to Cancun. But it was one of those things that, you know, they, you try to be, anybody ever try to be caller number whatever? Nobody's ever tried, right? No, we never do that. But uh, yeah, so it was really great news. And I went home and I told Wendy and she was like, shut up. No, you didn't. And I, <laughs> she did. But I said, yeah, this is, this is what happened. We're going to Cancun, and, uh, and we did. It was a fun trip. Another piece of incredible news that I received uh, was when uh, the doctor told Wendy that she was pregnant. Not with Tom, because Tom, it was really easy to get pregnant with Tom. Tom with Tom, it would, took like, I don't know, a month or two. It was like just really quick. But with Josh... We loved getting the news that we were pregnant with Josh because it was like months and months and months, and we, did, we weren't sure if anything was wrong with us. We weren't sure if we were going to be able to have a second child. So when the doctor finally came and said, yes, you're pregnant again, you're going to have another child, we were just very, very excited. And a lot of us have gotten some really good news, some really great news. Uh, we want to tell you that we're going to offer you the job. That's some really good news. How many of you have ever been in a place where that's really good news? I'm going to offer you the job. Um, uh, we are writing to inform you that uh, your child has received a four-year scholarship to our institution. Wouldn't that be great news? That's something I would love to hear. <laughs> when I look at uh, where Josh wants to go to college, Stanford. Um, <laughs> but do you remember how you reacted when you got that news, anybody, uh, how many of you remember getting your college acceptance letter? Anybody remember that? Anybody excited when you got your college acceptance letter? It was so exciting. Yes, I, I got in and it's my first choice and I'm singing and dancing and jumping around and mom's hugging me and dad's hugging me, everything. We get excited about good news. And I want to share a piece of good news with you this morning. Probably the greatest news that I have heard in my entire life. And no, I did not win a side of beef in a raffle. <laughs> I did not receive a lifetime supply of bacon. This is even better news than that. And the news is that God is with 
us. God is with us. Isn't that incredible news? Why aren't you jumping up and shouting and clapping and yelling and whistling like you would when your favorite football player makes a touchdown? Or when your team wins the championship? Why aren't we jumping up and down and being excited about this news? There we go. Thank you, one person in the back, for starting that. I appreciate that. But I think, and, and this could just be me, I think it's because for many of us, we take that news for granted. We've been Christians for so long, some of us almost our entire lives. And when we hear the news, God is with us, well, well I know God is with us. And we kind of take that for granted. But when we think about what it means that God is with us, and God is with us in the good times, and God is with us in the bad times. And in the bad times, a lot of us remember that God is with us, right? And we use like Bible verses like Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And we remember, yes, God is with me, and, and, he, and, and, and he will help me through this. But how often do we think about God being with us when we're on a trip that we won to Cancun, when we're on our way to college, and it's being fully paid for with a scholarship. How many of us think about God being with us in those moments? And I think sometimes, you know, we, we know God is with us, but sometimes we aren't conscious of the fact that God is with us. God gave us the ability to earn that scholarship. God gave us the ability to get that job. And if we start thinking in those terms, the things that God does on our behalf, when we hear that God is with us, I think we would be much more excited about it. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, God said this through the prophet Isaiah. He said, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And most of you have been in church for a long time. You know what Emmanuel means. It means God with us. That's what the word means. And Jesus, after he came, when he was ministering, he gave us great encouragement. And he said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. I am with you. This is what God wants us to know. And Jesus wasn't just talking about the bad times. Jesus was talking about all the time. We are sitting here this morning and we have sung and we have worshiped and we have prayed and God is with us. Because two or three or 30 or 40 or 50 are gathered in his name. And Jesus is right here in our midst and then Jesus, before he ascended to heaven, after he was uh, crucified, after he rose from the dead, right before he went back to the Father, he said, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And God sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. So that means that God is not in some far-off 
castle sitting on some far-off throne that we can't see, that we can't experience. It means that God is with us if we believe Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. He is right here. That's incredible news. But wait, because it gets even better than that. And how can it even be possibly be better? How can it be better than God is with us? Well, I'm going to tell you how it's going to be better. And over the next two weeks, we're going to look at how it's going to be better. God is not just with us. He is for us. God is not just with us. He is for us. Do you know what that means? It means that God is on our side it's not just that he's present. It's not just that he's an onlooker seeing what's going on. He wants the best for all of us. He is for us. He protects us and he provides for us. He guides us in the paths of righteousness for his namesake so that we can be present with him for eternity. And how can we not Get excited about that. How can we not sing and dance and clap and cheer because God is with us and God is for us? One of the most well-known stories in all of the Bible, so well-known that most non-Christians, non-Bible readers know this story. The story of David defeating Goliath. That story is so entrenched in our culture. We hear about these so-called David and Goliath stories, right? The little guy beating the big guy. It's so entrenched in our culture that everybody knows what we're talking about when we talk about David and Goliath. And it's a powerful story. But at its most basic, if we drill down to just the basic idea of the story of David and Goliath, it is the story of God being with us and being for us. And we're going to take a look at this story over the next couple of weeks. Today we're going to concentrate on God being with us. Next week we're going to talk about God being for us, and we're going to use this story of David. So we find this story in 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's the whole chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. I encourage you to read it sometime when you have the time maybe this week. But I want to quickly summarize uh, kind of what's going on. We don't have time to read the whole thing. But prior to the battle of David and Goliath, um, what we have are two armies. We've got the army of the Philistines, and we've got the army of Israel. So we've got the army of God's people on one side. We've got the army that is against God's people on the other side. Both of them up on this mountain. And there's this valley in the middle. So that's where we kind of get set up. And in 1 Samuel 17, verse 4, we see, And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits, and a span. How many of you know what a cubit is? Nobody knows what a cubit is anymore, right? Well, it's, it's an old measure. In ancient times, there were not uh, standard measurements. A cubit was considered the length 
of your forearm from your elbow to the fingertip of your middle finger. That's a cubit. And of course, some people have shorter cubits and some people have longer cubits. And we don't know um, who's writing this, if it's Samuel himself, if it's a scribe writing for Samuel. But what we do know is it's six of these and then a span. Now, I measured mine at home because I was curious what my cubit is. My cubit's about 20 inches because I'm six foot three inches tall, right? How many of you are like five feet tall? All right, yeah, you five feet tall people, your cubit's going to be a lot less. <laughs> Probably 17 or 18 inches. And most scholars kind of land on that 18 inches as being a cubit. So we take 18 inches times six, right? And we um, come up with uh, about nine feet. And a span is half the distance. Right? So we got 18, and we'll say about another 9 inches. Goliath was 9 foot 9 inches tall. And I was going to set up, and I'm going to bring like a, a ladder in here to kind of show you, but uh, I just didn't feel like it. But, now, 9 feet 9 inches tall. Now, assuming normal human dimensions, right? If he's 9 feet 9 inches tall, uh, his shoulders and his chest, uh, his torso area would have probably been about, um, let's see, uh, divide by 7, carry the one ginormous. This was a monster of a man. He was huge. And you also have to think about what was the average size of a man back in that time. Most historians say between five foot and five foot three was the average height of a man. Five foot three, nine foot nine. Anybody ever get like kind of intimidated or scared when they get around somebody who like towers over them? It's one of my curses because, like, I've got some students that just, they, they, they're so small and tiny that they don't want to be around me because I'm, in, I, I'm physically intimidating. Imagine you are standing in front of a nine-foot, nine-inch guy, and that's not just standing in front of him. This guy had a spear that was 12 feet tall. This spear could have gone through, like, eight or nine people if he decided to use it for that purpose. It was huge. And he's out here in this valley. He's walked over from the mountain. He's standing in this valley, and he's shouting up to the Israelites. And he stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. This was the challenge. Now, think about this situation. You've got somebody that's against the army of God stepping forward. He's huge. And from what it sounds like, really cocky. 
Nobody can beat me. You have nobody that can come against me. Nobody that's strong enough. Nobody that's big enough. Nobody that's smart enough to go against me. Does this start to sound familiar to anybody? Because I'm reading through this story and, and I'm kind of thinking through what Goliath is doing here. And maybe not this exact thing, but I think we have all seen this situation. How often do we look at our society and we are dismayed and we are frightened at what we see and what we hear? Goliath said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. And when he was saying, I defy the ranks of Israel, he was saying, I defy God. Give me a man that we may fight together. And the reaction of the Israelites, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. We look at some things that are happening in our world today in our society today. And we can see some people on the Philistine side that are very, very vocal against God and against God's people. We see people who step forward with great whatever they have. They think they're smarter than anybody else. They think they're better than everybody else. And they say, there is no God. And if there is, he's not worth worshiping. And we look at the things that are going on in society today, and we've got all of these people stepping up and saying, you've got to not say these things, and you've got to call people these things. And if you don't, we're going to just wipe you out. Not physically, but we're going to wipe you out. We're going to call you names. We're going to get you fired from your jobs. We're going to get you suspended or expelled from school if you don't go along with us. I see this story of David and Goliath, and that's kind of what I hear if I'm thinking about this in the modern day. And all too often, God's people are standing over here on the other side of the valley and we're dismayed. And we're greatly afraid. Well, I don't want to be fired. I don't want to be called names. I don't want to, I don't want to get kicked out of school. I don't want to get kicked out of here. I don't want people to, to, to make fun of me. And this is what happens. We're afraid that we don't know enough. How many of you feel tremendously confident in your knowledge of the Bible that you can stand up and talk about biblical things to people who are coming out and shouting at you from the valley? I don't know that I feel knowledgeable enough to do that sometimes. How many of us feel faithful enough? How many of us have enough faith in God that we're willing to stand up and we're willing to take whatever the consequences are for standing up for God. 
We're afraid and we're dismayed. We're afraid of being labeled things. We're afraid of standing up and being the only ones that do. Because sometimes that's what it comes down to. All of these people coming down into the valley and one person standing up and they're all by themselves. You ever felt that way? You're the only person standing up in your faith at some particular point in time? I think we're afraid because we forget that God is with us. We don't look around. We don't turn around. We don't look to see that God is with us. And because of that, we're afraid. This is what happened to the Israelite army. They're standing up on their mountain. And in 1 Samuel 17, 12 to 15, we read about this kid, probably about 16 years old. He's got eight brothers. or Well, he's the youngest of eight brothers, so he's got seven brothers. Three of them are in the army. Three of them are standing on top of that mountain. Israel's been on this mountain for 40 days, listening to Goliath come down every single day and yell taunts at them. And this kid, on the 40th day, son of Jesse, Jesse said to his David, his son, take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp of your brothers. David was not in the army. David was back at home tending the sheep. That was his job in the family. He was the, the tender of the sheep. And his father said, take this to your brothers. They're fighting in the army. Make sure that they're taken care of. Also take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousands. Wendy would like to be a commander of these thousands right now. 10 cheeses to the commander of these thousands. And see if your brothers are well. And bring some token from them. A token would have been uh, proof of life, we might say. Yes, we're alive. Take this back to dad. Tell him we're fine. Don't worry. So that's what we're looking at. And David did as his father told him to do on this 40th day of Goliath's taunts. And David left the things. So he went there, he left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage, and he ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. This is what he was supposed to do. And as he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. Now we might think, how can Israel not believe that God is with their army? How can they possibly believe that? God has been with Israel since the beginning. He parted the Red Sea so that they could escape from the army of Egypt. And God closed the Red Sea over the army of Egypt, completely decimated this army for them. They got fed manna and quail in the wilderness. 
It came from God. He fed them. He nourished them. He provided for them all throughout their time in the wilderness. God, when they built the tabernacle, filled it with his presence, and the Israelites could see the presence of God right there in their camp with them. But before we get too hard on the Israel army over here, we got to remember something. None of these guys experienced those things. None of the army that was standing up against the Philistines were there when the Red Sea parted, when manna was rained down from heaven, when God filled the tabernacle. This was the next generation of Israel. They had heard about all those things, but they hadn't seen them. But they had seen other miracles. They had other evidence that God was with them. In Joshua chapter 3, in order for them to get into the promised land, God stopped the Jordan River so that they could walk across on dry ground, just like he had parted the Red Sea, so that Israel could walk across on dry ground. In Joshua chapter 6, they had an enemy that they needed to defeat. And so they marched around the gates, the walls of the city of Jericho, seven times in six days. And on the seventh day, they marched around seven times. And then all they did was shout and blow trumpets. And the wall of the city fell down, and they were able to defeat their enemy. God was with them. Joshua chapter 10. They were in this great Battle. They were down on the battlefield, and this battle was going on and on and on. And Joshua asked God to stop the sun. And God stopped the sun for an entire length of another day so that they could win the battle. And can you imagine that? You're fighting for like 18 hours because God kept the lights on? This is what they saw. Soon after that, God stopped the sun again to help one of their, uh, one of their allies, the Gibeonites. God stopped the sun again so that they had enough time to defeat the army. They had seen these things. They had experienced these things. In Joshua's life, the Israelite army defeated 31 other armies because God was with them. So why fear the Philistines? Why fear Goliath? God has been with you this whole time. He has been fighting for you this whole time. And I think what we find sometimes, and this is for us, not just for the army of Israel, sometimes I think we let our focus leave God. We let our focus 
turn to something that is particularly horrifying, like a nine-foot-nine guy with a 12-foot javelin. In Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 23, we're not going to read it this morning, but a lot of you know the story. The disciples are out on a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and this huge storm comes up, and the, the boat, it looks like it's going to sink, it's going to break apart. And in the midst of the storm, the disciples see something walking towards them, walking on the water in the midst of the Sea of Galilee. And this, whatever it was that was walking towards them, was not affected by the wind. It wasn't affected by the waves. Just strolling along. And do you know what they thought? It's a ghost! Now, some of you are remembering uh, Scooby-Doo now, right? It's a ghost! Now, had the disciples not been completely terrified already, they might have recognized that it was Jesus. But they were terrified. They were not focused on Jesus. They were focused on the storm. But their terror blinded them to the truth. Jesus called out to them in the midst of the storm, It is I, Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've ever been standing in the middle of a storm before with lots of wind and lots of rain and things like that. He had to have spoken pretty loud in order to be heard at the boat. But he was heard. It is I, Jesus. But the disciples still weren't convinced because they were still focused on the storm. One guy, Peter, decided he was going to test that theory that it was really Jesus. Jesus, if it's really you, let me come out and walk with you on the water. And Jesus said, come on out, the water's fine. And that's what he did. And he walked toward Jesus. Peter walked on the water. Because he had his eyes on Jesus. But then, Peter remembered the storm. And he heard the wind, and he felt the waves. And he took his eyes off of Jesus and started looking around at what he thought was the problem. And immediately, he started to sink. But Jesus was with him. And Jesus reached down and grabbed his hand and pulled him back up, pulled him into the boat. We take our focus off of God and when we take our focus off of God, what do we have left? Our own strength. Our own abilities. And most of the time we think those are not enough. And we get dismayed. And we become greatly afraid. You see, we believe that God is with us. Right? How many of you agree? God is with us. Sure. Here's the problem as I see it. A lot of us don't believe that God is for us. 
We believe that God's there. We believe he exists. We believe that largely he's in charge. But does he really care about what's happening to me? I'm insignificant. I don't think God has time for my problems, so I'm going to have to solve them on my own. Have you ever felt that way? Let me assure you this morning that God is with you and that God is for you. God is on your side every moment of every day. God wants the best for you. And it is only when we take our eyes off of him that we forget that. God is with us and God is for us. He is paying attention. He knows what's happening to Bob. He knows what's happening in the lives of all of the families. He knows what's happening in the lives of everybody in East Berlin. He knows what's happening in the lives of everybody in Pennsylvania, everybody in the United States, everybody in the world. And he cares about every single life. God is with you. And God is for you. And next week we're going to finish the story of David and Goliath. And we're going to see that not only was God with Israel, which they might have known, but we're going to see that God was for Israel. We're going to see how much God cared about Israel. And we're going to see about how much God cares about us. But for this morning, I want, you, I want to leave you with this verse. It's in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 13. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not, I am the one who helps you. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. Kids, how many of you can remember walking across a street and mom or dad grabbing onto your hand while you walked across the street? Anybody remember that? So those that don't remember, either, either it happened and you don't remember or mom and dad didn't care if you got hit by a car on the across the street. Okay. How many older people remember Mom or dad grabbing our hands as we were getting ready to cross the street. Why did they do that? They did it because they were with us. Sometimes it wasn't mom or dad. Sometimes it was big brother or big sister that was forced to take us to wherever we needed to go. But they were with us. And they grabbed our hands because they were right there. But that's not really why they grabbed our hand. They grabbed our hand because they were for us. They grabbed our hand because they didn't want to see us crushed by a truck. They wanted to see us safely cross 
to the other side without harm. They cared about us. God is with us. God grabs hold of our hand because God is for us and he wants to see us get safely to the other side. Next week we're going to talk about God being for us and we're going to talk about how we stand up in this world of Goliaths in this world of people who would mock God, in this world of people who would challenge God. I hope that you can join us. But for now, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are here. We thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, so that we could be with you forever. We thank you that you've sent the Holy Spirit so that you can live within us every moment. That you can guide us, that you can lead us, that you can hold our hands as we navigate this world and its Goliaths. Father, we thank you you are for us. We thank you that you're not just there, but that you are there to care and provide and love and protect us. Father, help us to keep our focus on you, not to have our heads turned to the right or to the left by the storms of life or by the threats of life or anything else. But let us focus our eyes, our hearts on you so that we can remember that you are with us and that you are for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to the person next to you and say, I've got good news. God is morning. Do it. Go ahead. Don't be afraid to talk to each other. God is with you today. How many of you are excited that God is going to be with you this week as you do whatever it is that you have to go do in this world today? Wow. I'll tell you, we're, we're, as soon as we start cheering like that in here, we'll start showing the Super Bowl up here on, on Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> Be excited. Keep your eyes focused on God because he wants to be for you. God bless you this week.